Hey, 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 man. You look good. How are you doing? Are you still doing the thing? Oh, you're not doing the thing anymore. Oh, okay. But you moved to the place. Cool. Look at you moving to the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's catch up sometime. Put your first and last name in my phone and, and we'll figure it out. That's the trick I use to remember people's names. It doesn't always work. Sometimes they catch my drift. Hey, y'all. I'm Spencer Thomas, and welcome to the third episode of Artworks. We're doing it, and we are here. Um, I just got vaccine number two yesterday. This morning, I felt not good. I felt very achy. I've been going back to the gym. So a combination of that, I felt like my body was broken. I felt like I had the agility of a large, old dog with three legs. I haven't been getting around very much today, but you know what? I'm drinking my water. I had my coffee. I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling good. I think I'm about to do some yoga in a little while. You know, just kind of stretch all this, all this nasty stuff out. Um, I want to thank you all for listening to the show so far. You can rate it. You can review it on the Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow it on Spotify. I have all the links on the Instagram that I just put up, Artworks Podcast. So go ahead and give that a little follow. Golly, I'm feeling overstimulated. You know, I spend too much time looking at my damn phone, and then I don't get anything done, but I feel exhausted mentally. I can't focus. And then I remember something that a friend of mine said. Slow is fast. Slow is fast. Now, which friend said that to me? That's right. My next guest, Mr. Charles Warren. I met Charles back in September when I was filling in on drums with the Future Birds for a backyard party tour, and we were in Steamboat Springs, and Charles was there with his buddy and their cameras, and they were filming a documentary about Future Birds um, following Brandon and Carter around as they did fly fishing because they wanted to tie it to the outdoors. And he was just an incredibly nice guy. And we talked a lot about imposter syndrome and how making relationships makes your business grow and work. He is a photographer. He is a videographer. He is a fly fisherman. He is a guitar player. The man really does it all. So back in October, I talked with Charles about filming a documentary for one of his favorite bands, The Future Birds, and as well as photographing one of his favorite guitar players, Marcus King, as well as just general life stuff and applications that we can all use for our careers. Let's go, baby. Episode 3 with Charles Warren. Song. Did you Wanna really? Smoke yeah. Dude, you ripped, man. I had no idea. Cool. God, that was freaking like such a heater. That was amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, man, that's why I had to push back because I was in posting mode. <laughs> Once you're on the train, you can't stop. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'm sitting here trying to, I'm like, well, let me try to post a screenshot of the article with the video. Well, now the the article is big and the and the or, or the video is blown up and out of proportion. It's like I couldn't get any of the sizing or anything right. And I was just like this is where this is where stress lives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also it's just like am I going to write the right thing? Like is it going to reflect, you know, it's like is it going to sound like me or are people going to think I'm like, you know, being fake or whatever and I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot to it. And do people only see Instagram me? <laughs> yeah. They don't know the real me. 
Nobody knows where me. <laughs> How you doing? I'm I'm doing great now that my face is not looking at a screen and we're just having a conversation. <laughs> Let's chat, dude. I'm excited to talk to you regardless, even after the the interview, because I have a lot of questions for you. Well, that's that's why I wanted to have a conversation because we cornered <laughs> off a lot and had a lot of good conversations. Let's so yeah. So we met out at Steamboat Springs in the off season. Do you remember what the name of the resort was? Oh, the resort? I don't know, but I probably could pull that up. Um, um, let me just search ski resort. <laughs> ski resort in Colorado. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Uh, 700,000 yeah. listings. Um, oh, man, that's funny. You're not, are you recording right now? I'm recording always. Oh, dude! I thought I'm sorry. I thought we were just like having a conversation. My bad. Um, I guess oh no, you know, no, you know, part of this shit is going to make the cut. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm just going to look this up so I can know. Um, all right, let's see. That lift we were on is right by the roller coaster. There was a roller coaster. Then, yeah, we were. I was out there looking at it with. Um, with Chris Hudson, who took his fly fishing, Carter and B Miles and I that day. And, um, he, we were just like laughing, making jokes about like running and getting a skim board and like trying to like hop on the track and like grease it up with butter. <laughs> it was just so funny. Yeah. Like, that guy's Chris Hudson. He's amazing. He's also an amazing artist. He's you mm-hmm. probably interview him next. Man took the words right out of my mouth. That was somebody that I did want to interview. I was like, okay. Because the basis of artworks was to talk to creative people in all fields, and you know, and I was like, who, just like, who do I vibe with that I can that I can talk with about different creative fields? And I was like, well, Charles for sure, you know, just because like we talked a lot about music, you know, I mean, we talked a lot about um, each other's craft, and then I was like, Chris Hudson for sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah while he's a character, he's probably, he like, it's, I love him because every time he says something absolutely hilarious and you're like still like wheezing from laughing, he like immediately pulls some like very endearing comment about whoever he's talking about. Like, but seriously, they are the greatest human beings on earth. I'm like, dude, just cracks me up. Such a good guy. Oh, I found it. What is it? Storm. It looks like we were at storm meadow. So Christy, yeah. Okay. So we were, we were on, um, it's like the big steamboat ski resort. It looks like Storm Meadows may have been our complex. I don't know. I actually can't tell. Yeah. Okay. Well, beautiful place out there. And that's where I met you and your buddy. And y'all were, uh, working on this documentary for Future Birds. Is it your first documentary that you've done? Uh, it is. <laughs> Very much so. Well, tell me what it's like preparing for that and your and maybe influences that you pulled for what you were going for and so on. Okay, well, just long story short on how it came up. Uh, it was totally a quarantine baby idea. Just sitting there, I was like, wow, the Futurist has this amazing story to tell. I love them forever. They've, you know, they've gained so much popularity. Um, you have this, like one theme of euphoria of like releasing teamwork and then like the just unbelievable reaction they got. I think they got over a million streams on the album in a week, which is insane. And they're just like these local Georgia boys. And also the two like compelling gritty themes are that they've been on the road for 10 years doing this and they like surpassed the moment where they would have broken up. So it's like they're for real and they have so much of a story to tell in their personalities that it's like people need to see that. Um, so that coupled with, you know, releasing teamwork right before COVID, like five months before COVID, I think. And then like being on that tour that was like selling out left and right. And then like having to just like stop the world shuts down and having to deal with the fact that they, you know, worked so hard for 10 years to build that. And then now 
the live music industry is in you know quarter two of 2020 went lost 98 percent of its revenue so you know how like mindset you know just having like some uh guts to you know keep going and then you have this amazing third part of it you know they just played this marcus king show Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta this past weekend, which was, I mean, a, it's a massive park, uh, just huge stage. Big Boy from Outcast played on the stage the next night. I mean, you know, their game is just elevated so much, and they're reinforcing that with those, their shows. So I was just like, all right, I really want to make a documentary about this. Like, that would be so cool. And I love, I would like, I just started writing down ideas. I don't know why. And it all flowed. And so, then we had we pulled out the fishing and conservation and outdoors aspect of it from you know the whole band and then like the fishing part particularly with B Miles and Carter and we could couple this with the fly fishing industry and the music industry and get so many more views because there's so much crossover between those two industries um, and so I called Jared to do with Fly Lords uh, good buddy. He started Fly Lords. They are they've blown up to like now having like two million something viewers per month. I mean, insane. Um, we got connected with Future Birds Management team, their agency, um, Protect Our Winners, amazing organization um, rooted in conservation. Um, so it started with Jared, and I called him and just said, "Hey, here's my idea. Are you guys interested?" And before I could even get half of my like next sentence out one of his teammates was on the phone call and was like oh my gosh future wait is that like my broken arm future birds and their new single off team work and i was like yeah and he was like jared jared whatever we do you, yes we have to do this like i'll pay for it you have to, yes and he just like freaked out so and at that moment it was funny because i was like i didn't even know they were i didn't think or expect jared to buy into it at first so from there on the whole summer we've been on calls and you know pieces that I just thought never would have fallen into place just fell into place perfectly. Amazing. How long have you worked for Fly Lords? Um, so I don't work for them. I'm a big fan of theirs. Okay. Um, Jared and I grew up, or not grew up, but went to Swanee together for college, and he taught me a lot about kind of videography and photography, and at that point I had launched Fly Lords, but it was small. And anyway, so we fished together and then um, I've done some, you know, writing for them and photos for them and stuff like that, just very sparingly. They're a pretty elite organization. So you've done writing for them too? Yeah, I wrote a, um, an article. It was just a photo journal or a photo essay about um, five of us caught this amazing trout on the frying pan river that was like 27 inches long and so we wrote a story for orbs about it i'm trying to remember if it was that it was that but yeah it was something like that so mm -hmm. okay so you write you do videography photography and you also are a guitar player a wannabe guitar player <laughs> you're a wannabe guitar player yeah <laughs> yep yep but your first uh, your first gig was a, <laughs> a fraternity party. <laughs> I love how you sent me a bio that really just looks like a resume. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't need to write anything. Like he, that's we're that's the point of talking, right? Like, <laughs> it's always nice to have somewhere to start, though. So, what kind of band were you in playing at a fraternity function? Uh, oh man, just uh, absolutely classically typical college cover band i think our first show that night actually um it was amazing and packed and so rowdy and like i never expected that i had to go like upstairs to the third floor attic of swanee five society and like sit in alone for like the whole set break and just like mentally like digest that feeling because it was just so, i'd wanted to do that for my entire life and it was like holy cow and we get to play another set. <laughs> so, yeah, but we did, like, a lot of Almond Brothers. Um, Steve Miller, your, uh, Fish, Dead, um, all that junk. So. I mean, that sounds better than uh, a select college band. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it sounded better. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the selection sounds a little better. 
Um, where is Sewanee, by the way? It's in Tennessee. It's on the on top of the Cumberland Plateau, um, right in between Nashville and Chattanooga. Oh, yeah, that's right. Beautiful area. Oh my gosh, yeah. could, we could have a whole another day, full day conversation about that <laughs> place. Whoa. Were you doing film by that point? No, I wasn't at all. Um, I just, I, I studied economics and business uh, because, you know, my dad is in business and I just thought that was kind of the practical thing to do. Um, really loved the religion and writing courses um, and philosophy courses at Swanee. So it kind of like tapped into my creative side a little bit for the first time. Yeah. After that point at Swanee, it felt like there was, you know, kind of room to start getting into the creative side of, you know, the world. <laughs> and it just has kind of gone in that trajectory ever since. So you started film at just after college, just you saw a place where it was needed or somebody just handed you a camera one day? What was? Yeah, this summer after my senior college, I worked at a ranch in Colorado, CLU. Um, prayers for them right now, they just got uh, wrecked by that East Troublesome fire. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about them for sure, but it was awesome. Um, I got really into, at that point I was super nerding out on fly fishing and would do anything to learn something. And so, you know, we just got into filming the industry and making introductions and saying, Hey, we're, you know, I'm you know, at that point, you're just like, hi, uh, you don't know me, but I know this person and this person, and this person who you might know. And they told me to reach out to you, you know, so first level. Um, but then the photography really started first, um, went on a few trips out West to like, did a big one from Colorado, drove up to Wyoming and then drove into Montana and back, um, and fished with like four different sets of good fishing buddies. And we just like photographed. I think I took like 1500 photos and like, three days, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, that after that, it was like game on. So I started every weekend. I was working commercial real estate in Atlanta and every weekend I was in the mountains, North Carolina and that area, just wow. taking photos, started learning a lot as I talked to other people, ended up working with people like Orvis, um, and, oh, Gore-Tex is another one. Um, fly cultures, they brought me on. They were like my first gig ever so from there it just kind of took off and it was like every night i would come home get on my computer and research about how to shoot better and do all that stuff and we started doing videography um with the fly fishing scene because it's just such a huge element of it um and being able to capture like someone's personal best fish or just very you know amazing moments like uh, a huge dry fly eat with big by a big brown trout and the kid is stoked um you know or in this beautiful landscape that was kind of the way i drew me to it um so yeah that's kind of how i got into it yeah so you've always leaned more towards nature i mean starting with just immeasurable beauty in montana and that area and you just combined it with the fly fishing and created sort of a a niche for photography, I would say. In the grand scheme of things, recently, yes. I mean, you have, Mm -hmm. like, a river runs through it that came out with little Brad Pitt, and um, then, (laughs) you know, everyone saw that. And then, really, the the photography side from, you know, the media started just kind of when social media got going, and then there's people blowing up left and right, and then now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to do it there is insane amount of competition because and now every angler has an iPhone 11 and, or, a, you know, the guys who are more into it would playing a DSLR. And so you have everybody doing photos and they're all offering up for free to grow their base. And so, yeah, it's an interesting, it's definitely young though. You're right. It's, yeah. it's a very recent thing, but yeah, it's tough now. <laughs> Can I ask you what a DSLR is? <laughs> yeah, a DSLR is just uh, a camera um, that has an attachable lens. Usually, I would say, I don't, I don't know, it's the best way to describe it. It's like SLR is what just like a regular film camera was called. So it's just a digital SLR. Um, 
and main manufacturers are like Canon, Nikon, those guys. Um, then you go to a mirrorless camera, uh, which is a full frame. And so that's kind of like the, the big daddy expensive cameras. Okay. But the difference is that it all has to do with the way the um, image is translated to the sensor. Uh, with a DSLR, you actually have a two mirror system, um, which takes about like 17-ish, I think, millimeters out of the your depth focus, whereas a mirrorless camera obviously doesn't have that. So that's why they're so much more expensive. Mm. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine a little bit earlier today who's also a videographer in Jackson, and he did these live sessions in this old abandoned downtown armory in Jackson, and they called it the Armory Sessions. Oh, whoa. And um, I, I, have a, I have one from a couple of years ago, and we were talking about how, how raising his price... For two guys to totally edit and film and do the audio for this entire nice video of three songs for somebody, you know, when they went from about $300 to $600, you know, a lot of their business dropped, especially because musicians, you know, have a hard time fronting a lot of money for for video content. Oh, yeah. But then it's like uh, you're shooting for guys you love, like a shoot for this band, Kindle Street Company, um, mm -hmm. a lot last year and, you know, before COVID and it was like, every time I would go out there, I'd say, you know, give them a good rate. And then I would get there and like end up drinking a, two, a beer or two out of their like stash. And then, um, just hanging out with them. They're so much fun. They're an incredibly talented band. And yeah. they, um, and I was just like, yeah, let's just cut it in half and call it a deal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you, just, yeah. you know, if there's, you know what they're going through. They, you're not sleeping in the, uh, you know, the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that's kind of interesting. What is the, what is the band called? Kendall Street Company. They're out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, bunch of UVA guys. There's like great musical humor involved in the live shows. They put on really rowdy live shows, but it's like, Acoustic guitar, saxophone, then electric guitar, bass, drums, and I mean those guys are incredible. I was first time I saw them, I was blown away. I was actually shooting a show for the Orange Constant, and which is another great band. Um, and Kendall Street was opening for it. It was got a great venue in Atlanta. Um, obviously, sold out show from the Orange Constant's perspective, and Kendall Street just like lit it up and so i ended up started taking a bunch of photos of them and uh you know got established that relationship because they yeah they just it was just unbelievable yeah okay when did you start taking pictures for bands yeah so that's kind of more recent um so when we started playing with our band in 2017 i guess um, which is called we're called noonday suns um, so yeah, when we were playing, getting together, I had already, you know, been pretty well into the photo thing. And so some of the guys that graciously let us open a show for them, Mama's Love, they're out of Athens. They formed this new band named Meridine, M-A-R-A-D-E-N. Um, and they were awesome. And then they started letting us open for them. So I just started bringing my camera and would, you know, take pictures of their show, ended up shooting them at Variety Playhouse opening, I think for Big Head Todd and the Monsters. And I was, you know, freaking out. I always wanted to go back to stage at, uh, or on the stage at Variety Playhouse because I'd eaten so many concerts there as a high schooler. Um, so every band that I liked, I would just find a way to get in contact with them one way or another. And it was probably annoyingly, but it, we ended up establishing good relationships with, five or six bands now and um and last weekend wound up on the stage at centennial olympic park photographing marcus king band which was like the most surreal experience of my entire life yeah talk about something that just came to you recently and now you're taking pictures on the big stage <laughs> that's pretty incredible charles but it also but it also shows you a lot about like how the way that you build relationships you know um because you travel with uh, the Kimball Street Company and, 
You know, you start hanging out with them, and then you're like, oh, well, I can, I can do it for a discount because, like, I know that y'all aren't making a whole lot of money on tour. Like, you, you're looking to help people out for projects that you believe in, and I would say that's the same with Future Birds, obviously. Oh man, um, absolutely. Um, no, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. Um, I think it's really important as I can, I can be either very relaxed or a lot of the time just a huge blabbermouth and can't keep the lid shut so i have to very consciously like keep it um dialed in a little bit but i think it's important to you know really establish that relationship with them um with anybody that you are seeking out to do business with um or you know anything like that is you know yeah you got to hustle and you got to be persistent and you got to when you talk to them, you got to tell them if you're going to talk about what you're really wanting to accomplish um, or the idea that you have, you know, you have to talk about it with authority, but you also have to, you know, respect them, respect the fact that they have their whole lives and they don't know you. So it's starting to yield itself a lot of benefits from, from the long-term perspective. Cause I think I feel like really just this summer, I'm just starting to see the fruits of my labors from commercial real estate photography, from the outdoor scene, um, from, you know, obviously the future bird show and with Marcus King at, uh, Centennial. I mean, yeah, it's been, it's cool when just little moments pop out of nowhere. Did you just go uh, knock on the green room door for Marcus King and and just ask if they if you could take pictures? How does that work? <laughs> no, but I probably would have if the if the following hadn't happened first. Um, we were walking somehow back through the uh, back to the like the tour bus section, I think, to drop some equipment in the the Future Birds like dressing room trailer. We're walking by and out pops Marcus King from his tour bus and. I was like, all right, keep it together. And it's just like, Hey Marcus. And he immediately was just like, Hey guys, like, how are y'all? Like, what's up? And I was like, you know, Holy cow. I mean, this guy's, you know, so nice. And so we had a conversation and, you know, I slipped in at the very end. I was like, well, Hey, I'm here shooting the future bird show. Do you guys have anybody Um, you know, totally expecting them to have like three photographers. Um, he said, yeah, I think we potentially have like one or two from the, um, from the promoter, but, um, yeah, would love for you to shoot our show. And I, yeah, I was just like, Oh my gosh. All right, great. I'll get in touch with your agent. Um, we'll catch you later and just kind of let him go on his way. And I was like, okay, that was pretty awesome. And I also spent like, you know, myself locked in a room, like all of last year, like studying him and Derek trucks and, you know, taking off the pedals and just plugging straight into the amp for a year and like trying to really learn the way they pick. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were that big of a fan. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And he's an influence on your playing. Oh man. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely, he played that show with like two double wide stacks of Marshall and orange amps with, I think like four different heads, including like an old Fender blues head. And it was so powerful, but, uh, so I'm not trying to get to that level, but he's such a, he and Derek are such good, um, you know, finger pickers. Cause that's how they play pretty much the whole time. Um, and that was something that I needed to like get my act together on. And so, I mean, it's just fun about music. You just always learn. And that's the same thing with, um, videography. I mean, you know, you end up when you're, when you're filming this, you know, the whole, no, I guess the thing I've learned now that all the filming portion is finally over and all the negotiations and everything are finally over and we're ready to edit. It's like, you learn that so many different things about life and like just, um, you know, the way to carry yourself in any situation, um, you know, what people are really looking for. Just so, yeah, so many things and just by association. And so I think that's, 
when you go after a project that you are really passionate about, it is naturally going to yield you benefits because of that passion. Um, you know, financially, relationship-based, um, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And it's been, it's a really cool learning experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, business is business when we talk about hours and money and people's time. I mean, we, we do have to talk at a business perspective at some point, but outside of that, we're building relationships. We're making friends. Exactly. And, um, that usually yields the most opportunity, which I would consider you a success story by what you've just told me. Oh, success is so relative. Um, I don't know about that. That is not, I do not feel successful in any way. I feel like I'm just starting, you know, as a young, young person. Um, and I probably will feel that way for a long time. <laughs> Honestly, man, but, that's exactly how you should feel. Uh, oh yeah. No, you know, it's like, if you keep that attitude, then, um, you're going to keep asking questions and keep building relationships. And, you know, the more you put a focus on learning from other people, the more, it benefits you in the long run. Oh, that's great. That's probably one of the bigger lessons that I've learned as a musician is just seeing how you can help other people out. Yeah. So, talk, um, talk, I mean, hold the phone on that. How in the world did you get the gig to be a sit-in drummer for the Future Birds on a out west tour to Denver, spend a week in Steamboat Springs, you know, kicking it uh and then you know and just as an athlete musician tell me about oh, that oh man you turn the microphone back on me well uh yes sir it's your time so i played in a band in jackson called young valley i played drums and sang in that band uh, i co-wrote a lot of songs with my friend zach lovett um and uh his twin brother dylan lovett was a guitar player and we you know had a had kind of a rotation of musicians um, that came and played for us, but when we were first starting as a band, you know, it was like 2014 or 15, um, our friend Chris Rybolt, who does all the booking for Martin's Bar in Jackson, he asked if we wanted to open up for Future Birds, who I'd never heard of, but they were really starting to be on their rise. They were probably, you know, what year was it? Probably uh, 2000, 2014. 2014. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, cruising at that point. Yeah, so I mean, it was, and we were brand new. We were brand new. I mean, um, I was, you know, twenty two at that point. I just dropped out of college to be in a rock and roll band instead, and oh, a young Spencer. We. <laughs> Yeah. Exploring yeah. the world. I love it. Oh, I dropped out of college and then I started working as a waiter at a Mexican restaurant and playing rock and roll. And I was like, this is, you know, I had to convince myself. I'm like, this is living the dream. This is living the dream. <laughs> you know, but, but we did. We opened up for Future Birds that time and then a couple more times over the years. And um, they've just always been incredibly kind and Flash forward to after I made my record, after I decided to move to Athens, um, Thomas had been, you know, hearing my my singles and hearing my record as it came out, and he would show some of the other guys. But Thomas, like my first weekend in town, invited me out to his house, and uh, Thomas and Kara and I just kind of tied one on and... Uh, you know, had a nice night, and uh, and I was like, like Tom and I had always been cool whenever uh, we played with Future Birds, but that that was just a good night that just like sealed like, all right, yeah, me and Thomas are boys, and then it was the next day, he texted me and said, hey, I don't know what you got going on. <laughs> yes, but we know you play best. drums. That's the best first line you could ever get in a text. <laughs> like you know at that point it's like oh something's about to happen yeah yeah something hopefully good is about to happen yeah and um sorry continue and i mean like 
And of course, that was it. Just like because I was willing and able to fill in, they they threw me a bone. And well, what did you say? Sorry, I I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like, what, what was the text? Oh, <laughs> no, you're good. No, I was just I was just saying that. Um, he said we were gonna go just out to Colorado and play these uh, backyard shows, and and Jeff wasn't able to make it. And, um, and I just said, okay. And, uh, he started making a list for me and I was like, all right. So in about two weeks, I need to learn 25 future bird songs on the drums. And, um, and so I just pounded the pavement, you know, that's a pretty daunting task, but man, it's, I'm sure that you have felt the same way, especially when you were doing their documentary. Oh, Absolutely. You you just have to figure it out. You just figure it out. When you're asked to do something that you don't really know how to do, you just stumble through it until you find your way. Exactly. Exactly. You say, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I will find out. <laughs> yeah. Learning by immersion. Uh, yeah. Which is something, yeah. once these episodes start coming out, you can, uh, Patrick Ferguson and I, uh, he's a drummer, plays drums in 5'8" from Athens and uh we talked a lot about that yeah learning by immersion I like it um yeah it's totally what it's about have you watched a lot of band documentaries did you have anything that like you were going for when you were filming future birds oh yeah 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 without a doubt um there's yeah so there that's I mean I'm not a huge like film buff like I have a ton of friends who are you know so into like Scorsese and specific filmmakers and or directors mm-hmm. and I, I never really and like was a huge like movie buff. Um, I guess it's just because my brain's occupied with music and fishing and all that stuff already. <laughs> so uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was one of those things where um, I'd seen it. I've seen you know pretty much every documentary that's ever been made on like you know what Ro- Rolling Stones to Allman Brothers um, to. You know, just those all like so many bands, Michael Jackson, whatever. It just I love kind of the storyline because there's always something, you know, whether it's a a loss of a band member um, due to an accident, um, you know, or a plane crash or like, a um, you know, a band breaks up for, you know, whatever reason and then gets back together. And it's like there's something it's like a redemption on this. Like it's you know like everyone and there's you know with music there's so much ego involved and or you know intentionally not involved and you have to be so conscious about that and so you know when people are i see people either you know being able to get back together or at least push on through the the bs that goes on in life (laughs) you know it's like that to me i think is like super endearing and uh compelling so um i definitely watched a ton i think and this is this is funny because yes, I'm a huge fish fan. I will admit that on public radio. <laughs> uh, but I watched the documentary done by Todd Phillips called Bittersweet Motel on these are '97 kind of winter tours, and then like a Europe tour, and and yeah, it's more of a just a overview of, of what was going on that year while telling you know, different little stories throughout, um, but kind of tying it all together, just like, you know, they had made it and whatever. And, um, you know, Trey says something specific in that, that Fishman says something, he says, um, it can feel very self-serving, you know, making a documentary about yourself, like, <laughs> like you laughs. And, and I, that, that thought stuck with me and I was like, wow. I mean, it's like, you know, that's okay. Like you guys just want to remember this, but like, I want to do that job for other people. That would be so cool, you know, like to be able to to link up with people that you know, like deep down that you will establish a connection with um, because of, you know, your passion for what they do. Um, you know, you, to be able to like, it's like kind of like serving them in a way in that kind of like acts of service, but it's not, but it's so selfish and you to yourself because you're like oh, i'm gonna make this sick document you know there's like there's a lot to it but it's it really is like a kind of a cool way to like almost um yeah help out 
that kind of scene where, you know, nobody wants to make a documentary about yourselves. Like, that's just, you know, that's, that's not how it goes. People want to make it for you. So, yeah. And not to mention, I feel like if you did try to make a documentary out of yourself, you probably catch the wrong things. Yeah. I think as somebody who makes a documentary, you're, you're going to catch the stuff that, that they won't even realize the behavior uh, that they that they have in these certain moments, or exactly, they may not even see how they are reacting to something negative. Yeah, you're shining. You know, it seems self serving, but it's really like you're shining a light on some things that they don't even recognize, and they're in it all the time. Yes, absolutely. That's like such a great point. Um, you know, there's another part in Bittersweet Motel, and anyone, you know, I was actually talking to Carter about it, <laughs> and because we were talking about the documentary at first and um and mike the bassist of fish asked trey the guitarist he's like what do you think about or trey asked mike what do you think about that set mike and talking about last night's show mike goes i thought you played too many notes and like that to me like oh on so many levels business life conversation um, interacting, you know, non-verbally with musicians on stage as you play improvisational music, which, which we try to do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, on so many levels that that little thing, that one scene resonated with me. And so it was, it's almost like, yeah, you, you get to see these, these moments with these guys that, you know, from a fan's perspective at first, because, yeah, I was a fan at first before, you know, I guess we became friends. And, um, you know, now, you know, all, it's just very interesting. Like, your notice, your perception is very strong um, and intense, like, at that moment when you're a fan. So I think it's a good thing to to really chase those ideas that you're super passionate about because you're able to translate exactly what you're talking about. Um, you're able to translate the the little things about that you get from you know one or two lines of their songs, like with the future words, like my broken arm. I think it's um, Thomas writes. Um, you know, he's had the he's had the song for maybe ten years. What? Yeah, he told me some. And and maybe you've experienced the same thing, but sometimes you have songs that, that sit around forever and never find a record. And Thomas said for the last like two or three records before teamwork, he went, hey, I have uh, my broken arm. You want to do that? You know, and they're like, uh, I don't know if this fits. And then finally teamwork came along and they go, hey, what about that my broken arm, Thomas? And so it finally found a place, but apparently Thomas had had it for a really long time. No way. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the God. insider it's shit it's... that you learn. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, dude. Yeah, we need to have a con- keep continue this conversation uh, afterwards. But um, yeah, that line um, it says, uh, "So go on and lead the way with your crumbling hands and lie awake in bed." humbled wondering damn why you can't raise your plans in this tired city and then the next line is but the race it won't stop with each day's end it's not a life worth living if you just can't find a friend and that to me like the way he phrased it musically and Mm -hmm. like voice like the way it translates yeah musically and harmonically and then in the in that part of the song it's like he's He's got the buildups that, you know, spread out through the beginning. But then when he gets to that sort of, I don't know if it's a bridge or what, but like, man, it just, it's so compelling. And like, I'm trying to get more into the, the lyrical side of, of music. And to me, that resonates so well. But then it's also, it's also things like uh, in Killing Ground, one, one of my favorite songs now of all time, <laughs> easily. It's like you, those the three distinct snare I guess, phrases that go lead right into the chorus. The first one is just uh, one hit the uh, or two hits or something like that. The second one is four hits. 
And then the first, the last one is like just one big hit right in between with a like nice little um, half step break right before it. And it just, that to me is like, you know, these guys like are, had just have gotten to the point where their mind is, you know, out of just thinking about those little details. Um, The structure is, is airtight. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I noticed, uh, you know, playing drums. I filled in on bass one time, and I was just like, man, they got this down. They got the, they got the songs down. Uh, there, was a, there was a moment when we were playing one of those backyard shows, and I just got stoned with somebody, and I don't, I don't usually like to uh, hit any weed just lying around uh, when I'm <laughs> in Colorado because I just don't know what it's going to do to my brain. And, um, you know, and I just felt really anxious and I felt like, well, I'm like, well, maybe if I just like display a lot of senses of gratitude, my, my brain will calm down. And I just turned to Daniel and I was like, Daniel, your songs are really fucking good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just, and he was like, thanks, man. Likewise. Um, you know, we just been doing it a long time. And that's awesome. When it when it comes down to it, it's just you doing it a long time. They they've just they just wanted to write good songs and be a good band, and they've and they've done it. They've achieved that. Um. Well, now we've spent the whole time talking about future birds. <laughs> yeah, right, you got to get me back. You have to like you definitely have to be like okay. So back to the point. <laughs> no, but no, but see. As an interviewer, you wanna you wanna take the conversation where it leads, and you wanted to talk about Centennial Park, and we went to Centennial Park and talk about Future Birds. But I want to know, like, what, where are you in the process now with the documentary? So we have gotten, um, we've completed all the stages of filming. Um, the last thing I guess we have to do is um, receive the show footage from. Uh, I guess it's rival entertainment who would be giving that to us um, for the Centennial Park shows, just from those big cameras that were shooting onto the sound, um, big video boards on the sides of the stages. And so we're always do is grab that and then grab some clips from, um, you know, some old, older clips of the, the guys playing. And then um, from there, we are ready to edit uh, I'm starting that I'm doing the editing, um, all of it. And, um, it's, you know, it's probably going to be, I would say a two, hopefully like a two month, no longer process with, for the kind of four minute, four to five minute Instagram piece. And then I'm going to sit on the the full film for probably like, I, I would probably like four to five to six months. Cause it's just some, I mean, I, I guess I can't even, I mean, that's my goal of like from structurally to, and to get it released social media wise and everything. Um, but cause hopefully, you know, by that time they'll be about to run into their spring tour and they'll be good hype for them and their fans to, like see the full film. Hopefully I can get it done sooner. I don't know, but yeah, we're, we're definitely going to be getting out the, the like five minute Instagram um, based I guess it will be Instagram-based. Flylords and Protect Our Winners will be hosting it um, on their their pages as well. And then I guess it'll live on the Future Birds like YouTube channel. And so. you say Protect Our Winners? Yes, that's the conservation agency that's also um, partnering with us. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're cool. I, they're awesome. They have a huge, huge, um, you know, just group group of friends all over you know the country they have a big following and things like that so it was great to to get connected with them yeah well you're just you're creating a network all in this too and because of your fly fishing experience uh working with uh protect our winners and then you tell them about future birds one of the guys is already a fan you've you've created this whole new relationship right right exactly and that's and 
so cool in itself. Um, you know, yeah, when I told Jared about that, he was like, oh, yeah, those guys are awesome. Super, absolutely down to partner with them. I was like, boom, let's go. Um, and, you know, next next thing. But the whole point to that point, you know, the, I, I feel like most documentaries are about one thing. Um, so this is so unique in the fact that it's kind of about like three-fourths of a thing and then another thing. Um, with, you know, the, the conservation and the fly fishing and then the, the music side and, but it weaves together so perfectly. Like there's a, there, we did the interview by the side of the river with B miles and Carter and B telling this story about how Carter's dad taught him to fly fish. Like when they would first started playing their shows back in like 09, 2010, like, you know, they, they would always, his dad would come to, and like every time they were near you know, the water, whether it's Savannah or something, they would just go fly fishing. And, um, yeah, that was just so cool that it's like, Oh, your music friend taught you to fly fish. And now 10 years later, you're like out bringing your rods to Colorado looking for water on your off days. Yeah. And so that like, is pretty interesting that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty challenging to weave those things together in a way that presents one message so I'm kind of nervous about that part, but you know, if the story wasn't there, it wouldn't be there. So. Oh yeah. Well, you know it's there. <laughs> I know it's there, and if you know, <laughs> now yeah, it'll be great. I'm super excited about it. I received some wide wise information recently from from a friend who said. Uh, most people these days now are looking for the finish before they even get started. And you really do just have to, you just have to start digging. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's so funny. Um, and so true, but so funny because, uh, our keyboardist in our band who is a phenomenal musician, he studied jazz and all that stuff. He's like, told me one time, he's like, man, like, cause I write with writer set lists and he, they, they liked him. And he's like, man, you would be a much better producer than you would musician. <laughs> I was like, Oh, burn. That was very, uh, that was a hot one there, Mark. But no, it's just, but it's funny. Cause I guess I think that was, that's so true. It's like, you have to, um, recognize like, yeah. Okay. I want to, yeah, we want to make this documentary and like, yay, the end product's going to be sweet. Okay. What is step one? What's like step negative one? Yeah. Like, you know, you have to almost like go back and say like, okay, if, you know, if we're, if we're at this point right now, where do I need to start? Like uh, thinking about bringing, like bringing this together from a timeline perspective from their lives and then, you know, tying it together with, you know, current time. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, I really look forward to seeing it. I'm, I'm so stoked. And that was such yeah. a, that was such a fun and relaxing time. And I hope people can see, uh, what everybody was doing out there and, and how they're still pushing on even through these times. And yeah, I think it's, it's funny too, like little points about that, uh, last, I guess from that Colorado trip is, um, you were talking about imposter that you and I were talking about imposter theory because, uh, or imposer, what is it? Imposter theory? Imposter syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. you were like, I mean, we were both on the same, oh, we were on the same page wavelength, you know, frequency, all of those things at that point, at that moment, because we were both like, uh, I like literally don't belong here. Like these are this, this group with their friends, but they're being really nice to us. But like, it's still like, we need to give, you know, give them space. And what am I doing here? And, you know, some moments of that. And like, that was totally real for a lot of it. But I think that if you, I think you have to like, kind of like take that imposter theory and like sort of like tell it to go death itself and like you're just gonna roll on and you know it's kind of just embrace it and be like all right yeah i am the guy who's not supposed to be here like in my own mind but like i'm just gonna act like i normally act and be friendly and appreciative like you know just like you were so humble and nice and 
you know, helpful with the, the group over the week. And like that was, it's so real with like everything, every, I feel like every new challenge or like new tier that you climb, it's like you have to embrace imposter syndrome once again. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's something that's, that's funny. Um, but yeah, so I think the, you know, really the documentary, I mean, the structure really is like, I'm kind of have it split into thirds and the beginning is kind of be a lot of the Colorado time and a little bit like a fishing and then just like introducing the band, like introducing what's going on. Also need to add, there's a huge compelling moment of we're going to cover like the teamwork release and, you know, the amazing reception and all of that. And these sold out shows on the, t- on the tour following and, then the second section is going to be like, you know, what COVID, what is going on, the loss. And then the third part is um, kind of the redemption that we were talking about earlier about, you know, getting to play the show at Centennial. Like I want to very much break up the second and third parts of this and like into and with a long transition and then, you know, have it just rip into a full band you know, shot of them, you know, raging in the Olympic Park. And it's like, there's the redemption. And now they're just continuing on. No, that's a, that's a great timeline. And I was thinking about the Centennial Park show being, being kind of a victorious moment for, for future birds for this year. And, uh, and a great addition to the storyline of your documentary. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Thanks, man. So, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, Charles, I have three questions that I ask everybody at uh, rounding out the end of the show. And I feel like I already know your answer to the first one. But I wanted to know what was the last moment you felt success? Like, by last, you mean most recent? I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Like true success, like um, man, I think it was after we had kind of finished the the set, the Future Bird set at Centennial, and Bailey, who was here, good buddy from Denver, helping film, and I looked at each other and we were just like, we got it. Every, I mean, the hoops that we had to jump through to get all of this stuff shot and the way we wanted to do it. And I'm so annoyingly particular and about what I want. And like, if, you know, if one part of it's not there, it's like, oh, I'm going to go to, you know, just shambles. But that moment I felt like was just such a like sigh of relief. Like, yes. Like we did it, you know, it just doesn't even matter. Like, it's not like a moment when it, you know, it got published or something like that or whatever. It's like, just, we we did it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, beautiful. Um, would you tell me what is the most unsung difficulty about your industry? And we can go ahead and choose videography because that's where we are right now. Um, what's the most unsung difficulty that people outside of videography don't really know about? Mm. I, um, I would say really like uh, when, as you're doing different videos and exploring what you want to do, starting to build and realizing you need to build a like a, a certain specific style your videos and people who you know make make movies um you know they obviously have you know directors have their styles and that's great and but they work with different you know producers and filmmakers and everything on the side and so they have to kind of curate that but you really have to develop almost like a, a familiar palette so it's like when everyone sees your videos you know they know it's like one of your videos almost um and 
So I think that's something that really you just have to give some intentional thought to. And it's really hard because you like, you don't, it's a daunting task to think about choosing one thing to be your, you know, forever, or, you know, you have to go this way and you don't have to go that way the whole time, but it's, it's important to, to have that palette that's familiar and recognizable um, as you continue to grow. And I've learned that a lot through photography, but like the, yeah, that figuring out what that is and what that look is that you want and being able to incorporate that in every, you know, thing you do, that's to me probably one of the hardest parts. Mm. And jobs. <laughs> and jobs. Yeah, getting jobs, getting gigs, photo gigs, yeah. video gigs. Yeah, getting gigs. Yeah. No, getting video gigs is hard. I mean, it's uh there's a lot of people out there who are really smart and know how to do stuff really well. Um, and our age is becoming so digital with, you know, COVID and everything. So, um, yeah, there's, there's some really talented people out there. Yeah. Well, luckily for a lot of people that know you is, uh, they know that you're a good hang and, uh, and can also get the job done. And I think a lot of people, a lot of bands will definitely pay more attention after they see the, the future bird stuff too. Tell me about a mantra you've kept close to you. Where did you learn it and how does it personally apply? Oh man. Um, there's several, I feel like to come to mind from just either baseball coaches or, you know, people that I've played music with or, hmm, I would say that I think it's, uh, three words, slow is fast. Um, I learned that from my boss at Cushman Wakefield, um, that I worked for, for like almost three years. Um, she was phenomenal. She's just a wonderful woman and human being. Um, and you know, she was, it basically means that, um, when you're doing everything like you were talking about earlier, it's like everyone is focused on the end product finished product but you have to like really wrangle yourself in and start with step one of you know 100,000 or whatever it is and I think slow is fast really just like makes you I think reflection is a really big important part of life and I think that managing expectations is a really important part of life and when you go too fast you run with your first expectations and um, you know, you run with, you know, you just don't pay attention to the details that you need to pay attention to, whether it's creating art or, um, you know, with your relationships, um, and friends and family, um, you know, it, it, I think slow is fast is like one of the best things you ever hear and totally a theme of 2020, uh, it's been a very, very slow year, um, great times hopefully among all of the horrible things that are going on um you know at least some great times to hopefully step back and just do some reflection on where you are in life and what you want to do and why you want to do it um i mean i know it's like there's definitely an an eagerness for every filmmaker and videographer documentary buff whoever it is to get your stuff out and seen but man you've got to really take some patience get people's eyes to see it other eyes to see it get them to see it again uh, get your mom to see it like she'll tell you the stuff that really stinks <laughs> uh, yeah. without without holding back um and then just like consider you know just take your time man um because the more time you spend putting out quality work the faster you're going to get to the place that you want to be, but you know, not, not all about that, um, about the end result. You know, it's about the journey that gets you there that, you know, gives you all the memories, you know? Mm. Well, I think that is a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much, Charles. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me, Spencer. It's just great to talk to you. I, uh, I, Immediately sent you a message after Centennial and was like, I missed you so much, dude. Where are you? <laughs> uh, 
Man, I miss I missed being there. I was just like, oh, give me a tambourine. I don't even care. I just want I just wanted to hang out. All right, man. Charles Warren, thank you so much. You can follow Charles on Instagram, cm underscore Warren. You can also look into Wood Valley Travel and Media. You can follow Noonday Suns to hear his guitar playing. You can see all of his fly fishing pictures and be in touch for the Future Birds documentary. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Thank you for listening to Artworks. The intro and outro music is brought to you by Mr. Kel Kellum. From his instrumental record, Adding to the Ashes, which you can find on all of the streaming things. Or Bandcamp. You can buy it off of Bandcamp. Wouldn't that be nice of you? The Artworks artwork is brought to you by Cody Rogers. Thank you, Cody. And if you're interested in any of my musical endeavors, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Bandcamp, YouTube. All of that stuff is under Spencer Thomas Songs. Please take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, and follow on Instagram, Artworks Podcast. So remember to appreciate the people who are behind the camera, making the artistic decisions and editing and creating this piece for you to just sit at home and watch. It's magical. They're making magic. You're witnessing magic. And remember, man, art works. Mucho love, respect and gratitude. Bye-bye.